Welcome back, people, to Authentically Us, the podcast where we talk about what it means to be authentic in everything that you do and everything that we do, because this is us. Hey, I'm your host, Conroy Smith, and this is my my guy, Tony Morton. What's going on, people? Hey, today um, is a very, very great, it's going to be a great episode. Um, Fire. Our guest today is so knowledgeable. Um, we, we're diving into uh, what it means to be Christian and um, gay. So lean in for this one um, because mm-hmm. our guest Peter has so much to say on this topic. Um, and I, it, it definitely is going to blow your mind because it definitely blew mine. Yeah, for sure. So let's uh, let's dive straight in and let's get to it. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Authentically Us. We appreciate you stopping by. Uh, today we have a special guest. Peter Volk is with us. Peter, how you doing, man? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. That's awesome. So tell our listeners a little bit about you. Yeah, uh, I'm a, a writer and speaker about uh, discernment and singleness for the Lord and LGBT plus topics according to a traditional sexual ethic um, and have been published in some places like Christianity Today. And, and uh, I'm also the founder and executive director of Equip, which is a premier consulting and like training solution for churches that want to be places where gay people can thrive according to a traditional sexual ethic. And we worked with a bunch of churches and a bunch of Christian leaders. Um, I'm also a, a teacher and an aspiring deacon in the Anglican church in North America. Uh, I, I've helped start a, uh, an ecumenically Christian monastery <laughs> that offers men to uh, family to men uh, called to kingdom singleness called the Nashville family of brothers mm-hmm. in, in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, and then I'm a licensed professional counselor specialized in serving gay Christians, hoping to steward their sexualities according to a traditional sexual ethic. And uh, I mean, each of these jobs, has to do with sexuality and finding belonging in the body of Christ. And, and all this work matters to me because I'm a Christian um, and I'm gay uh, and I'm committed to a, a traditional sexual ethic. Uh, and at least how I define that is, is a belief that God's best for every Christian is either a lifetime vocation of abstinence singleness for the sake of doing kingdom work with undivided attention or a lifetime vocation of opposite sex marriage with an openness to raising uh children for the sake of the kingdom so yeah that's a little little about me quite quite the introduction i mean right like you do a lot <laughs> i can i can listen i can listen to that over and over um yes. you, you failed to mention that you are a rising social media figure oh. you're really just missing the blue check which i think is coming <laughs> yeah this well, guy it's needs a great it. place it's a great place to reach people um, and to share about some of these ideas that, that people have not heard about. They've not heard about what the Bible really has to say about singleness for the Lord. Uh, they don't know that there's 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 a way to be gay and Christian and follow yeah. the scripture's teachings. Mm. So which I'm sure we'll we'll get to chat about some today. So oh, oh yes. man. I'm already yeah. excited for this. Well this, this is already gonna be a good one. Yeah, speaking of uh uh social media, I remember coming across one of your reels and the way you talked about 
the church loving the gay community, I was like, oh yeah, we need this guy on the podcast because um, Kamo and I want wanted to broach this topic with someone that understood it more than us, and you were that guy. Hmm. Well, so we're, thanks for we're, we're grateful. Yeah. Yes, we're Excited. very grateful. Um. <laughs> So, so yeah, let's dive in. What did your upbringing look like? Yeah, so I grew up in kind of a uh, kind of rural town in East Tennessee, in a in a Christian home. Grew up going to church, hearing the Bible taught and the things of the Bible taught about. And uh, and, and in sixth grade, I I realized I was I was gay. Uh, that I was attracted to other guys. And I basically like swore that I would never let anyone else know who I really was. Um, I mean, I, I was ashamed. Um, and, and I was afraid that other people would find out and treat me poorly because of that. Mm. Um, and I felt really alone. Um, I mean, the, the the family and church I grew up in didn't really talk about gay people that much. I mean, when it did, when it did come up, it was in the context of politics or a simple statement that God was against homosexuality, but it was clear that like gay was bad and good Christians aren't supposed to be gay. Um, so after I realized that I was gay, I, I tried to change that part of myself, uh, mm. like between the ages of 13 and 23. So over that decade, I prayed hundreds, if not thousands of prayers that God would make me straight. Mm. Um, I went to a hundred plus hours of counseling with a therapist who promised uh, he, they could, you know, reduce my gayness. Uh, and I spent wow. about nine months working, interning for a pray the gay away ministry. Um, uh, but despite all those efforts, you know, I'm still pretty, um, thoroughly attracted to, 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 to men that I find attractive. Yeah. Um, so that's not changed. Um, you know, I was also really afraid that people would, would find out, uh, like I was so afraid that I actually dropped out of theater just so people wouldn't suspect I was gay. So in middle school, wow. like I played the leading roles in both of our theater productions. And then in high school, quickly realized that the same people in theater club were also in the gay straight Alliance. And I could not risk anyone thinking I was gay. So no more theater for Peter. Um, wow. But yeah, I think one of the most, I don't know, painful moments growing up was probably when my own fear of like being outed and kind of discussed with my own sexuality turned to homophobia that hurt others. Mm. Um, wow. There's this one moment I was like on the cross country team and there was this guy named Derek, who was the only openly gay guy in our school at the time. And he was also on the cross country team. And um, as we waited at the starting line for a race to begin, everyone started pairing up and doing partner stretching like we always do. But this was the first race, you know, after he had come out of school. And as Derek asked, the other guys to help him stretch, he was turned away. Uh, like one after another, a guys, different guys said, no, gross. Like, I don't want to touch you. I don't want you touching me. And then he got to me and I like cheapestly refused as well. I, I ended up dishing out mm. the same pain, the mm. same rejection that wow. I was hoping to avoid. Um, mm. So, um, and, and, and all this was really lonely. I mean, I, I didn't think there was anyone else like me. Yeah. You know, I grew up, being taught by TV and culture around me, uh, some pretty horrible stereotypes of gay people. I mean, I was led to believe that 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 the gay people all went to group sex parties and they all had AIDS and they were all addicted to drugs and none of them wanted anything to do with Jesus. 
So based on that image, I didn't think I belonged with gay people, at least according to that stereotype. Yeah. And then on the other side, all the Christians I knew were straight, or so I thought. And so I was led to believe that in order to be a good Christian, I had to be straight. And then there was me stuck in the middle in no man's land. You know, I don't yeah. belong in either of these places. Mm. Um, but it, but I mean, it was in this loneliness that a desire to be known, to be fully known and fully loved grew. Um, and, you know, when I started sharing my story, it, it was a mixed bag in the beginning. Um, but but thankfully, a lot of people have responded to my story with love and compassion. Yeah. I remember in particular during um, my sophomore year of college after a gay brother left our fraternity um, because he was uh, in kind of an open relationship, romantic sexual relationship with another dude. And, uh, and that was kind of against our community's, our, our fraternity's code of conduct. Uh, I took the scary step of sharing my story with the entire fraternity because I needed straight guys in our fraternity to know how to better love people like me based on some of the ways they were responding to this guy leaving our fraternity. Um, And I needed other brothers who were gay to know they weren't alone. Yeah. Yeah. And after I shared my fear of like being shunned turned into joyful surprise as brother after brother lined up and gave me a hug and opened their phone to schedule a meal and get to know me better. Wow. Um, and to this day, like those guys have embodied Christ for me better than, than most churches have. So, wow. um, yeah, after sharing with that fraternity, a number of those guys who were gay and had similar beliefs as me shared with me about their story. And, and we started kind of making sense of life together and doing life together. And, and I think I realized at some point in college that all of us were afraid, uh, well, two things were true for all of us. One, we were afraid that if we follow the Bible's wisdom, we would be alone. Yeah. And none of us had parents or pastors who knew what to do with us, who knew how to help us. Mm. Um, and, and really, that's the origins of like all the stuff I do today. Yeah. Um, yeah. By uh, you know, the end of college, I had gotten into medical school, but I couldn't shake the feeling that God instead wanted me to go into full-time ministry, helping churches love gay people like me. And that was like nine years ago. Uh, and, and, and I started equip the ministry that I, that I helped run on my, my full-time job to help equip parents and pastors to better love and serve gay people, according to a traditional sexual ethic. Um, and then back in 2017, I started the Nashville family of brothers, yeah. uh, to help combat that fear that I would be alone if I lived out celibacy for a lifetime, uh, started the Nashville family brothers to offer celibate men regardless of sexual orientation lifelong lived in family because it's also what i needed yeah um yeah so yeah in many ways my pain uh and making sense of that has been the source of also all of the cool kingdom work projects i get to be a part of and do with god today which is which i'm grateful for and it's and it's amazing how that works you know like we look back on our lives and we see uh different traumas different experiences how we were raised that like in the moment, this is the worst thing I've ever experienced. Mm -hmm. And then we look back and you're like, wow, I can actually speak into the lives of people who are going through exactly what I'm going through. So they don't have to deal with what I did, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and it's awesome to see where you're at, but I did want to, I did want to peel back um, a little bit. You mentioned when you were six, that's when you knew you were gay. Oh, sixth what, grade. Sorry. I sixth grade. Yeah. Sorry. Sixth grade. Yeah. What was the moment? Like, what was the, what was the deciding factor or did something mm. happen that you came to that realization? 
Yeah, I mean, if I'm being honest, I think, you know, un unfortunately, it's very common uh, for teenagers in kind of the millennial generation going into the present to be exposed to pornography and yeah. very common to, to have a really unhealthy relationship with uh, pornography. Um, there, That's a whole other conversation about the level of kind of sexual addiction with pornography and other things just rampant in in our churches among adult yeah. men and among teenage men yeah. and there's plenty of that among women as well so it's not just something that men struggle with but um so you know unfortunately i was a, a friend in middle school you know told me what pornography was told me what websites to go to and you know it just it i it was i think it was honestly watching those videos that over a couple of months I, I didn't want to really admit to myself that I was watching the men. I was watching straight pornography, but I didn't want to admit to myself that I was paying attention to the men in straight pornography much more than I was paying attention to the women. Hmm. And, hmm. but then eventually it just like came, became really undeniable. And then the stuff I started searching for changed. Yeah. Um, but so I don't, I don't think, you know, both as my personal experience and knowing other people's stories and as a, as a, as a licensed professional counselor with uh, expertise in, in psychology, you know, I don't think watching pornography made me gay, um, but it may have accelerated the age at which it was clear and obvious and undeniable to me. That that's what I was drawn to. Mm -hmm. um, but my hunch is if it hadn't been become clear to me in sixth grade, um by eighth ninth tenth grade uh you know it would have become undeniably clear to me yeah so. yeah you mentioned some things also um about this different thing with the church I, I and i can only imagine like hearing where you're at now and then also hearing what you went through about you know some of the organizations pray the gay away or you know praying these things and uh, maybe Christians even shunning you at a t at time. And I remember growing up, um, you know, Tony and I for a, from a small town, we, we say we're from the sticks as well. Mm -hmm. Nobody, I mean, the church for sure didn't talk about um, how to handle uh, homosexuals or, or gay people at all. Not definitely not in a good way. Mm -hmm. So I can only imagine like some of the things you, you went through. Can you talk a little bit about like, like where you are now and then, those ex negative experiences like i can only imagine like church hurt coming from that sure yeah yeah a lot of the pain that i experienced uh was the pain of the closet was the mm -hmm. pain of i heard enough from christians uh and saw enough when that guy derek in our school for example came out to know that if I shared about this part of my story, I was going to get hurt. Mm. And so it was safer to hide. Mm. But what that meant was I was making sense of this stuff for a long time, uh, all by myself, but, but not really all by myself. Cause I was, it was me alone with really the enemy yeah. and mm. the, the yeah. enemy's lies and the enemy's accusations and and things like pornography that the enemy offered me to try to soothe and numb and escape from my painful reality. And there was a lot of shame. There was a lot that the enemy told me over and over again that that, that it was my fault that I was gay or it was my fault that I was still gay because I wasn't good enough that I deserved 
to be broken in this way, that this was some punishment from God, or, or that if I didn't do enough to become straight, I, I would never be loved, mm. that no one would ever love me, mm. um, that I was unlovable because I was broken in this particular way, no matter how well I resisted temptation. Um, that led to lots of anxiety. It led to depression. Thankfully for me, it did not lead to suicidality. Thankfully for me, it did not lead to doubting the goodness of God uh, or, or doubting the truth of a traditional sexual ethic or doubting God's existence. But I know lots of people who those things mm -hmm. were true for them, that it led to suicidality. It led to a doubt of whether God was good or existed at all or yeah. whether his wisdom was reliable. Um, you know, and then when I did start sharing my story, it, it was a mixed bag. I mean, I shared some some good stories, but there were some painful stories of of people responding uh, really poorly yeah. to me sharing about this part of my story. Yeah. Um, but I think the most painful part of it, and this is true for you know, I'm a licensed professional counselor, and I and I primarily meet with with gay Christians trying to steward their sexualities according to a traditional sexual ethic. The primary hurt they experience is the closet. And they experience the closet. It, it, that is still the that is still ultimately church hurt, because yeah. instead of our churches teaching every kid in our church about God's love and wisdom for everybody, God's wisdom for sexual stewardship for everybody, and in age-appropriate ways, God's love and wisdom for gay people, and encouraging our kids before puberty, hey, if this is a part of your story or any other things are a part of your story, you don't have to make sense of this alone talk to us, yeah. you know, and our churches yeah. ought to have been, ought to have been demonstrating safety yes. and offering God's love and wisdom. Um, instead of doing that, you know, uh, our churches wait until a kid comes out to talk about these topics and, and often in lacking compassion. So we just kind of leave kids to be easy targets for the enemy to manipulate for yeah. years and years and years in the closet because of the silence of our churches on these topics. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that's the most profound church hurt. It's, it's not the overt homophobia after kids come out of the closet. It's, it's the out of inaction and gross negligence. Wow. Letting eight, nine, 10 year old boys and girls, letting the enemy have a, uh, a free for all with them for on average five years. Yeah. Wow. That's, Man, that's, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, that's just so, like, heartbreaking to know that, you know, a place that should be a place for um, people to come and be known and accepted, that w that's not the experience of uh, the gay community. Um, but your story brings me back to a post I saw probably last week and it's about churches that sit on the fence yep, are ultimately that. hurting gay Christians. Can you talk more about why is it important for churches to engage this mm -hmm. and how can they love the gay community better? Yeah. Yeah, so I mean, first I'll tie it directly just to, to what we were just talking about, which was if a church, and when I mean a, a church, I, I particularly mean the leaders of that church, um, either aren't sure what they believe on, on this topic, 
or know what they believe on this topic, but but think that if they were clear about what they believed on this topic, it would cost them membership and donations and mm -hmm. budget or just cost them popularity and influence in their community or online. Uh, if they're not sure what their church thinks about these topics, most churches then are silent on these topics. They want to avoid the conversation as much as possible. Um, and that's what enables the enemy to have this five-year free-for-all with every gay girl and boy. Mm. Um, so that's a big cost of sitting the fence. I'm, I think another issue of another cost of, of churches sitting the fence and not, not making clear uh, what, they, what they believe on these topics is it, is it keeps them then from being able to teach um, straight people in their churches how to be better friends to gay people in ways that embody God's love and God's wisdom. Yeah. Um, and, and then also the church can't invest in some of the solutions and the direct care for LGBT plus people in their, in their community, because again, they've got to avoid the conversation. You know, you can't, you can't make announcements during the announcements time at church about resources you have available for LGBT plus people in your church that, you know, are going to help them embrace and thrive according to God's love and wisdom. If, if, if you've never talked about these topics and if even bringing up the idea of resources for this population opens them a can of worms that forces your conversation, your congregation to have a conversation that you don't want to have. Yeah. So uh, silence, that's the only way to, to avoid uh, that is, is to keep the silence, but the yeah. silence is a tool that the enemy knows how to use really well. Yeah. You know, yeah. even, <laughs> even Tony and I was talking about in, in 2020, when we were at a all-time high for racial injustice and yeah. him and I talked so much about the silence spoke louder than people who were actually being racist, actually saying these things. Yep. And I can only imagine years upon years upon years yep. in the church about the LGBTQ plus community. Um, I know for my, for speaking from experience for me, like I currently, I currently work in a church now um, and I live in San Diego. And when I first moved to San Diego, um, I had a, I would say I had a very, I was very small minded and I started working in this area. It's called Hillcrest, um, which is predominantly uh, gay. There's like a lot of gay bars and stuff like that. And um, the gym I was working at, a lot of people from the LGBTQ plus community would come in. Um, and at first it was very, it was very new for me. And I didn't really know how to interact. Like one of my, like even my coworkers and, and whatsoever. And then it just got to the point where I got to actually know people, these people. And it's like, these are people who just want to be yes. loved, who want to be known, who want to be seen. Yep. And no matter if I agree with their lifestyle or not, these are people that I now care about, that I now care about yeah. their feelings, their, their, their thoughts and things like that. Um, so can you, can, you, can you talk a little bit about how important it is to get to know the person instead of seeing maybe their lifestyle or maybe even some of the things they may struggle with? How important is to put a, a face to it? Yeah, for sure. Because I think you're right. I think particularly in our kind of uh, politically charged and culturally charged environment inside and outside of our churches, it's easy for 
the average kind of straight congregant that when they imagine a, a gay person, they imagine, you know, the the loudest, most militant person in their social media feed yeah. who is LGBT and always talking about this stuff. Yeah. And always yeah. talking about this stuff in a very antagonistic way, or the most yeah. extreme kind of you know uh, public figure who is uh, kind of advocating on behalf of LGBT plus people, um, and those people exist, but that's not most people. That's not most yeah. LGBT plus people. Most LGBT plus people are just like anybody else. They're just trying to do their part, get paid, have a good time with friends, and like get well rested yeah. <laughs> like, how do you yeah. Know? like yeah yeah <laughs> they're just normal people and they they're too busy with like the, the 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 broken reality of life to to get on the internet and argue with people about that kind of stuff so uh i, I yeah i do think it's really important to get to know just in in the same way that um you know any of us can think about kind of our cultural or political affiliations or or sensibilities or affinities and can imagine who's the person in your club, in your group that you least want to represent you. And then assume, and then imagine if everyone, when they heard that person saying something in public or saying something on the internet, they assumed they, that they spoke for you. No yeah. one wants that, right? Yeah. Um, so yeah, get to know the individual. Um, what I've, I, I'm going to sound like a broken record here, but wh when I'm kind of talking to pastors or just kind of your average straight um, uh, Christian, I say, you know, when you, when you think about LGBT plus ministry in your church, you probably think about this kind of 20s or 20 or 30 year old gay non-Christian who does not, who, who does not believe in a traditional sexual ethic. And, 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 the, and the focus of LGBT plus ministry is how do we convert them to Christianity and, and, and convince them of a traditional sexual ethic. Um, and what I instead challenge people to think about when they think about LGBT plus ministry is three-year-olds in their pews, mm. some of whom mm. five or six years later are going to realize they experience same-sex attraction. Yeah. Mm. And over those five years between ages three and eight, did they hear from their parents and from their children's pastor God's love and wisdom in careful age-appropriate ways, in ways that encourage that kid to share early with their parents if same-sex attraction is a part of their story? Or did what they heard or didn't hear from their parents and children's mm. pastors encourage them to hide that mm. and make yeah. sense of that alone in the closet yeah. with the lies of the enemy and the lies of culture? That's the first thing we should think about when we think about LGBT mm. plus ministry. Uh, is that image now i'm, I'm wow. not saying that, that that sharing the gospel with non-christians who happen to also be lgbt plus isn't isn't important that, that, that's also very important outreach um but but when we think about lgbt plus ministry i want to first encourage us to think about the three-year-old in the pew who five years later is going to realize they experience same-sex attraction what have they been hearing and are we setting them up to embrace god's love and wisdom for them or are we setting them up to embrace something else Wow. wow. Yeah. Like, are they, are they safe? Like, yeah. Yeah. It's a safe place Yeah. for them to share that or share, like they took an extra brownie from, from, you know, lunch, like are we setting up? That's, that's so good. Yeah. It is, it is about the safety and the trust. And that's what the church should be. 
you know, we talk a lot about how it should be a hospital for the sick and not, you know, a, I don't know the opposite thing. I forget what the <laughs> saying is, <laughs> but like, you're right. It, yeah. Think about, you know, Tony and I were, we were, we actually did a podcast on Bel Air. Um, I don't know if you've seen it, but they actually cover everything, everything in this, yep. in this um, show. And they, they actually started with um, Ashley from the Fresh Prince, but now in Bel Air, who is, you know, exploring her sexuality. And, you know, she's she told her sister that she thinks she's attracted to um, a woman. And it's this is the first show that I've experienced that it started so young. Yeah. Usually we see them in their 20s or 30s. So I think you're right with saying that, like, hey, let's think about even younger. Is this mm-hmm. a safe place for them to talk about it? And that's what we, that's what we want to create. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, Abs- absolutely. So what would you say to uh, the Christian that wants to love the gay community but feels like it is challenging because they don't want to love them in a way that condones their lifestyle Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. yeah so uh, there can be a variety of kind of motivations behind that fear um sometimes uh when i interact with people who have this like uh if i don't condemn i'm condoning um sometimes their fear sometimes their fear is uh that they 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 feel this sense of um that the lgbt rights movement has been advancing very quickly and very effectively they feel threatened by that um and that that creates insecurity and and fear and we don't like to feel afraid. And so in a lot of us, that thing creates anger that covers over that. And we feel anger toward the LGBT plus community because we're because we're scared by them and scared by their advance. And and so even if it's not intentional, like our gut reaction to that community is 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 anger. It's 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 frustration. Um, and you know, that kind of sequence of emotions is like you know, that's, that's how a lot of our hearts happen, you know? So I'm not trying to shame people for, for feeling that, but, but what I, what I kind of encourage for, for that person responding with, with anger and feeling this like need to condemn, um, is ask them, you know, is, I want to believe in the best of that person who feels, who feels like if they don't condemn, they're condoning. And I think what they ultimately want is not to judge people, but what they want is it's, it's for the gospel and God's wisdom to be effective yeah. and be embraced. Right? Yeah. And so my question for them would be, do you think condemning will be the most effective? Um, why do you think that gay people, um, that some gay people are not Christians or some gay Christians are not convinced of a traditional sexual ethic? Do you think it's because they haven't been judged enough? Do you think it's because they haven't heard what, the bible says about this do you think they just don't know that this is wrong in god's eyes um no right like every gay person they've been they've been told that it's wrong enough they know what the passages in scripture are better than most straight people do um (laughs) and 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 they know what 
at least historically Christians, how Christians have understood God to think about these topics. The reasons why um, a, a lot of gay people end up leaving the church and certainly abandon a traditional sexual ethic um, is because that that those painful experiences in the closet yeah is because yeah. when they eventually come out um they don't see churches where 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 gay people are following god's wisdom and thriving according to a traditional sexual ethic instead what they were met with for decades was a destructive and false pray the gay away theology yeah that doubled rates of suicidality and led to the loss of life and faith of hundreds of thousands of mm. lgbt plus people yeah um and they also came out in 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 a church that had a double standard about sexual stewardship that, that was holding this high standard of sexual stewardship for gay people but then was kind of ignoring what the bible had to say about straight people considering lifetime celibacy yeah. ignoring what the bible had to say about um about you know abstaining from sex outside of marriage ignoring what the bible had to say about um adultery and about um divorce and about remarriage ignoring what the bible had to say about kind of what the per god's purposes for christian mm. marriage are because it was convenient for the majority mm. to bend the rules yeah. but then continuing to hold gay people to a high standard of sexual stewardship and, and and in their minds they said that's not because people love god and his word that's because people hate gay people wow. so if if with that kind of straight Christian who feels like they if they don't condemn they're condoning, if what they're really motivated by is that they 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 that they that they they know that gay people are are made in God's image and that God loves them and God wants them to to experience God's love and follow God's wisdom in a way that leads to thriving in their life, then maybe we should start with recognizing some of the ways that we've made it hard for gay people to believe that God's wisdom is good. Mm. And take some of the steps in our churches to make God's wisdom good in a very practical, lived-in, embodied way. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's the best way to, to, to respond to maybe – and also even to respond to some of the, the fear we experience towards this political movement. Um, you know, if, if that's truly what you're afraid of, then offer people something better in the church, truly better. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. you know, I don't, I don't think our primary goal should be to slow down the LGBT plus – uh rights movement but i i yep. i sure bet you things would change if our churches were actually people places where gay people could thrive according to god's wisdom with reasonable effort yeah so so our our podcast is called authentically us mm -hmm. and you you you've spoken a lot about about your story and you know about the church i wanted to ask um being in ministry leading a ministry how are you choosing to to still follow the bible um but also you know be op openly gay sure yeah yeah i mean that yeah being gay and christian and committed to a traditional sexual ethic puts me in a weird place <laughs> um i mean almost every day i get attacked by those who like hold a more progressive sexual ethic that think i am self-hating and repressed because I follow God's teachings. And then almost every day, I also get attacked by cultural conservatives and fundamentalists that, yeah. you know, because I continue to experience some same sex attraction or talk about it publicly, they think that I must not really love God or really be following his teachings. Um, and, and, 
they don't seem to be able to see that to be authentically me is 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 it's it's not something that fits in their in their boxes. Mm. Um, they just kind of see me in whatever way that's most convenient for their worldview, for their agenda. So mm. they can dismiss my story so that they don't have to be challenged by my story. So wow. Uh what does that mean for me to be authentically me? I guess is that like I am really truly gay. Um I've got the battle scars of the closet to to prove it. Um, you know, I started making sense of my sexuality at the same time that the Glee first included uh, a gay teen couple and and I had a huge crush on Darren Chris and I really enjoy listening to Troy Sivan and Lil Nas X because there's something special about knowing they're gay too. And they wrote these songs about yeah. our stories and, yes. and I get a kick out of painting my fingernails sometimes and alarming my parents and 80 year olds at the grocery store, you know, and <laughs> most of my friends are gay and I stopped praying that God would make me straight and I'm not disgusted by myself anymore. And I'm not mm. hiding anymore. And I'm not alone anymore. I am a self-loving eyes wide open, genuine bona fide gay person. And I am like authentically, really, truly Christ. Mm. Jesus is the Lord of my life. I submit everything about my life to his wisdom. Uh, I I am a child of God, first and foremost. Jesus and Jesus alone sits on the throne of my life. Every decision Mm. I make is submitted to his lordship. Mm. And Christ demands and deserves my whole life, Mm. including how I steward my sexuality. And because I am convinced his love and wisdom are the source of truest joy and pleasure and meaning, uh, I'm convinced of those things. Um, and, and I've experienced that recognizing my same sex mm. attractions, submitting mm. that brokenness to God and collaborating with him to, to steward my sexuality in redemptive ways has been the greatest source of blessing wow. in my life and God's glory through my life. So, it's been particularly in contrast to that brokenness of my sexuality and that the reality and goodness of God has been apparent to me Yeah, and I'm gay. So yeah, that's what it looks like for me to be authentically gay and Christian. Um, yeah. Wow. Brother, that that's beautiful. That yeah, is truly. so, yeah, that's beautiful, man. Hmm. Um, I, I was gonna say, especially I like how you, you know, about how you saying like you don't fit in anybody's box because (laughs) your story is exactly your story, you know, and how you choose to live your life is is how you choose to live it. Um, And it's cool because you have Jesus guiding that path, um, which, you know, I pray that your story and what you're doing touches so many more people who are like you, because I know so many people who are part of the LGBTQ plus community that just don't feel wanted or or don't feel they belong in the church. And that's not true at all, you know? And I, I, I pray that your story truly resonates because you belong like, we need people like you part of the church. We need yeah. people like you to talk and, and speak about your experiences because yeah. that is where true freedom, true reconciliation will come. Mm. Yeah. Facts. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, another question I have is, is the term gay Christian problematic? 
and I asked this because I had someone reach out to me after I posted your post about churches who sit the fence. And mm-hmm. I had someone say that they felt like that was problematic because we don't go around calling Christians lying Christians or adulterous right. Christians. So why do we still highlight a sin and attach it to Christian? And so yeah. did that make sense? And can you uh, speak to that? Yeah, for sure. So yeah, and I, there's 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 lots of kind of reasonable objections to that kind of phrase, gay Christian. And, and I've actually kind of, because it's a question I get often enough, I've written kind of a, a, a kind of a link, a series about why do I use the language that I use? And what do I mean when I use the language that I use? So I'd love to kind of post that in y'all's show notes or include that somewhere yeah. in, in the kind of the information for this episode and, yes, and would love to pass it on to that particular person. Um, but so I'll give a really brief kind of answer, which is um, like language is complicated. And I don't think there's any phrases or words to kind of describe someone like me that is 100% clear to every listener and 100% free of baggage for every listener. Mm. Uh, and so what I've, what I've got to do is I've got to think about who is who am I called to minister to and what's the language that would be most effective with yeah. that audience. And then I use that language right. knowing that wow. like, it's not going to fit for everybody. Yeah, that's true. Um, so it, it just like, like quickly teasing it out, you know, the, just some different meanings of the word gay versus same sex attracted. So uh, with the, the word gay, you know, I know when I was growing up, when people used the word gay, they uh, packed into that. They assumed with that word, that horrible stereotype I shared earlier that they're all going to group sex parties. They all have AIDS. They're all doing drugs and none of them want anything to do with Jesus, right? I grew up, that's what gay meant. These days, you talk to middle schoolers, high schoolers, you ask them, what does it mean to be gay? They say, oh, it's just a boy who likes boys or a girl who likes girls. And they assume nothing more about that person other than it's just referring to their attractions. Um, with the phrase same-sex attraction, you know, some people today, maybe particularly who are more culturally conservative, they they prefer that term because they say, hey, it's it, it it's 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 simple, it's clear, it's what it's talking about. You know, it's just referring to people's same-sex attractions. Um, and 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 shouldn't that be self-evident? Let's use that language because it's more specific. But what some people don't know is that phrase same-sex attraction was popularized by the Pray the Gay Way movement in the 80s mm. and 90s and 2000s. And for a lot of people like me who spent a decade in the Pray the Gay Away movement, um, a, a Pray the Gay Away movement that was, was, was thoroughly unsuccessful, like scientific research shows that 96 to 90 or 97% of people who went through sexual orientation change efforts experience no change in their sexual orientation, but their participation in those sexual orientation change efforts doubled their risk of suicide. And so when a lot of people from a lot of generations hear the phrase same-sex attraction, they associate it with deadly pray the gay away theology and practices. Mm. Um, And talk about a barrier to evangelism, a barrier to the gospel. When you use that phrase with those audiences, they're not going to listen to another word you have to say. 
Wow. So, so then we find ourselves in a tricky place where if I use either the word gay or the phrase same-sex attraction, some people are going to like it and some people aren't going to like it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. that's where, you know, I really have to discern and, and, and ask God, well, who have you called me to, to minister to? Mm. And what words are most effective with them? Mm. And, you know, I know God has called me primarily to speak to uh, teenagers and, and young adults um, who, who, are, who, are, who are gay. Um, and the most effective language to use with them um, is the word gay and, and using it the way mm. they use it, which is just to refer to boys who like boys or girls who like girls. Just to use it basically to describe people who are same-sex attracted. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I'm also pretty clear uh, in a lot of the stuff that I write that I'm a that I if I call myself a gay Christian, I say gay Christian committed to a traditional sexual ethic. And I'm yeah. usually pretty disciplined about including that 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 phrase at the end, because I do want to make clear, you know, because uh, it's not always clear when people use that phrase. I do want to make clear that, like, I believe in God's love and wisdom for gay people. And I'm following that. Yeah. That's wow. You know, that's you know, you, helpful. Yeah, it definitely you educated me because I, I I had no clue that it's almost like a word association, right? You hear this word immediately, it goes this direction. But you're right; it it is the people in the audience you're talking about. So knowing your audience, um, I I did want to mention you also talked about how you teach, and you've you've created um, a a program for christians to be to be celibate um first of all let's let's define the word celibate for for the common ear that doesn't know what that means and then uh what does that even look like sure. realistically in in 2022 mm -hmm. yeah, yeah 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 so you know when i i i tend to use the the, the phrase vocational singleness to refer to what i feel called to some people use the word celibacy, um, but you know when I use this phrase vocational singleness or whenever other people use the, the word celibacy, you know I'm particularly referring to the kind of singleness that Jesus and Paul are talking about in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7. And Christians have most consistently throughout history understood Jesus and Paul in those passages to be encouraging a particular kind of singleness. Um, that is, that actually is a, is a lifetime calling to abstinent singleness for the sake of the kingdom. Mm. So I'll briefly break down that definition. So it's a calling. Um, it's not just based on our preference, but it's actually based on God kind of knowing for each of us, whether it would be better for us to live out a life of singleness for Jesus, of abstinent celibate singleness for Jesus, or get married and live out a life of Christian marriage. And, and God wants to communicate to us which, which gift he wants to give us, what, which preference he has for us. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's permanent. The, the, the historic consistent understanding of the church is that this particular kind of singleness is not like, a, oh, I'll be single until I get married. Yeah. If you're doing this kind of Jesus singleness that's talked about in Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, it's talking about a, a lifetime commitment to giving up the possibility of marriage and sex and romance and kids Okay, but why? It's not just about self-denial. It's it's really about not having the important kingdom work of 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 having a spouse and kids to instead use all the energy you would have used on a spouse and kids to do 
other kingdom work with undivided attention. Mm. Um, because there's ways that like when parents are busy raising kids, there's just stuff that they don't have the time and energy to, to attend to um, sure. in our communities. Yeah. Um, mm. And so, you know, I think Jesus's intentions intention here is to have like a, a minority of Christians be like a, a SWAT team for kingdom work. Yeah. That they're like, they've got expertise and availability and capacity to, time. Yeah. yeah, and time and all those things to address, uh, you know, I mean, obviously to share the gospel and do some of the more obvious work of the church, but I think also to address some of the like brokenness in our society and heal some of the mm. division in our communities that will ultimately like embody God's love mm. and, and show people that Jesus is real and, wow. and bring wholeness to, to our world, which is, which is the big project of, of, of Christ's death and resurrection is not just about saving us from our sins, but it's about mm. making right the whole yes. world. Um, and so people called to vocational singles can are particularly available to do that. Um, mm. Okay. So that's like a lot of like theological wow. jargon. That's stuff. good though. Uh, yeah. Uh, what, we'll send in the offerings later. Okay. Yeah, right. yes. What's your uh, uh, Venmo cash app? <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, more practically, what does that look like for us in this Nashville family of brothers? That's the community that we've started. Um, you know, one thing I didn't mention is this vocational singleness, the singleness for Jesus, is not a call to be like alone for the sake of mm. the kingdom. It's mm. not a call to go in your prayer closet every night and spend every day and night alone. That's good. When you look in the passages of scripture that, that talk about vocational singleness, um, there's over and over again reference to it's still a call to enjoying healthy intimacy, friendship, companionship in non-romantic and non-sexual ways in the context of like committed long-term permanent Christian community, like real family. Um, and that's how the, that, that, that celibate people in the early church did it. Um, and so we're just really, what we're doing in our community is just trying to imitate, to learn from how celibate people have, done family over the past 2000 years. And that's by, we, we live in a house together and we pray together in the mornings and we do meals together and holidays together and vacations together. And then we, we each are still a part of different local churches and we're still a part of, of kind of married people and kids, you know, outside of, of our, of our house, we're still a part of their lives. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and then, you know, we, we, we feel like we're supposed to be using our singleness for the sake of the kingdom. And, and for us, we feel particularly called that we're supposed to be kind of each individually praying and asking God, God, how do you want me to use my nine to five job? How do you want me to use my primary work hours mm. to advance the kingdom more quickly? And each of us are doing that in different ways. Um, so that, that's what it looks like for us. So wow. when, you, when you think of the kind of celibacy we're doing, don't think of people who are living in like loneliness and self-denial. Think, think about people who... We still have rich, robust family. I still have really meaningful friendships that involve healthy emotional intimacy and, and, and non-sexual, non-romantic physical intimacy and healthy mm. spiritual intimacy and healthy intellectual intimacy. Yeah, sure, romance and, and sex are not a part of the equation for me, but I still like, I still have a lot of really meaningful yeah. relationship. Yeah. Um, and yeah. Man, this has been so, so great. Far beyond I, I, I could imagine. Um, so we're, we're so thankful for that. Yes. Um, we did want to move on to our next segment, which our next segment is called Rapid Fire. Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> um, so what we're going to do, we're going to ask you uh, three questions. It's only three, three. Okay. And it's going to be the first thing that comes to mind. So okay. don't, don't phone a friend. Sure. You know, this is the first thing that comes to mind. Three questions. You ready? Okay. All right. Let's get it. All right. Let's go. <laughs> what brings you joy? Hmm. Uh, right now in our community, we just, uh, we're growing. So a couple of new guys are going to be joining, moving into our house in the next month. And we, uh, needed more space. And we found this amazing house to rent that has like, it's basically like a, a monastery. It has eight bedrooms and eight bathrooms and two kitchens and two living rooms is so much space for us. And it's affordable. And it's in, in, a, in a neighborhood that's close to where we're living now. And last night we all, uh, we had all the guys over, all the guys who live in the house had dinner together. And we had a couple of guys over who are going to be moving in soon. And we all walked over to the house and got a, a photo of it together and, and had a great meal last night together. And it, it's those kind of things that yeah bring joy. Yeah. yeah. And I wish you guys could see his face as, as he's describing this. It, it's <laughs> yeah, truly, right? he's, he's truly joyful about this. Yes. So, um, what was the last movie you watched? Ooh. I went to go see uh, Thor Love and Thunder in theaters. Uh, and I'll have to say, I mean, I just, I like all of the Marvel movies and I will go see them even if I expect it, don't know if they'll be that good because I just want to know what's what's going on yeah. in the plot. You got to be in the so, loop. Yeah. So, so what, that's, what, do you that's rate what I went to. Th- thumbs up, thumbs down. It was mediocre. I think what was disappointing is like, it doesn't feel like it really moved the the larger storyline. And so it, mm. you know, Mm. i'm like okay where are we going with this right right you know all right uh what's your favorite beverage favorite beverage oh well if we're saying not an alcoholic probably (laughs) diet coke (laughs) okay my man but um i also okay to be clear you're saying diet coke over normal coke that's just what i drink that's that's okay that's my go too okay same here so i've gotten used to it at this point that now if i drink regular coke it tastes funky to me it tastes yeah, too yeah. sweet or sweet in a different way i don't know yeah. um but uh but, but uh gosh something between a, a nice glass of red wine or some whiskey to sip on or a mint julep no not a mint julep sorry a mojito um, okay for my favorite beverage if if it's alcoholic so nice. I'm actually about to go on a cruise with a friend, a couple of friends, and we're trying to figure out kind of some of our b- beverage options for the for the cruise. So been thinking yeah. about that. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. Um, yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Um, where can people find you, or what resources would you point people to if they want to start? learning and figuring out what it means to love the gay community. Yeah. So um, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook uh, at, um, at Peter L Volk. And my name's kind of, it's P I E T E R L V as in Victor A L K. Um. Or you can, there's a lot of free resources on my website, which is the same thing, P-I-E-T-E-R-L-V-A-L-K.com. 
Uh, and we'll probably put, you know, all that info in the, the show notes and in whatever we oh, post yeah. about. So it'll be easy for people to get to it. For sure. Well, thank you so much. This, this, like I said, this has been so educational. Um, we're so excited to learn. And, and like I said, my prayer is that this specific, you know, podcast and even your story and your life and what you're doing will impact thousands and, and millions. Cause I, I know there are people who this will directly impact. So again, thank yeah. you so much Peter, for hopping on the podcast today. Yeah. yeah thank, thank you guys man. for the opportunity. Of yeah, course. Absolutely. Take care. Hey, until next time, be authentic in everything that you do. <laughs> Amen. <laughs>
James Harden. Come on, man. That was an easy one. I thought for sure you'd get that. You know, you uh, win some, you lose some. Yeah, I'm the better friend. It's fun. Clearly, that's the only question I've gotten wrong throughout this <laughs> Anyways, hey, guys. Thank you um, for listening. Um, continue to, to, to tune in. We got a lot of great guests um, on deck. So um, keep keep tuning in. Keep listening. Keep sharing. And until next time, hey, be authentic in everything that you do. Peace. Peace.